Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Brownstein policy advisors Brian McKeon and Darian Flowers discuss the current status of the Yucca Mountain project. Yucca Mountain, located 100 miles north of Las Vegas, was designated by Congress in 1987 as the proposed site for the permanent storage of highly radioactive waste produced by nuclear power plants nationwide. In a discussion moderated by Policy Director Elizabeth Gore, the group covers upcoming activity on the project in Congress and the political dynamic the project faces. My name is Elizabeth Gore, and I'm at Brownstein Hyatt Farber Schreck here in our D.C. office. Um, as you all probably know, we are a law firm with strong roots out west, including Las Vegas and Denver and California and New Mexico. And here in D.C., uh, I chair up our government relations department. So we've got about 40 lobbyists here in Washington, and we... Um, do both sides of the aisle, both ends of Capitol Hill, and uh, both sides of the Capitol. So um, we are truly a bipartisan entity in a town that doesn't have a lot of those these days. Uh, let me just give two minutes of introduction of who I've got up here with me today. Um, this is Brian McKeon. As you all know, um, uh, Washington, D.C., and politics, it's a team sport, and he's on Team Democrat. He's worked for a couple of different uh uh, Democratic senators, including Barbara Boxer. He was her senior counsel for many years from uh, Barbara Boxer is from California, of course. And then he was legislative director and acting chief of staff for Senator Gene Shaheen from the great state of New Hampshire. So he joined us about a year ago and um, has broad experience in a whole lot of issue areas, including uh, energy and transportation. And on my left, I have Darian Flowers from Team Republican. He also worked on the Senate side. He worked for uh, Senator Bill Cassidy from Louisiana, who's been in the news a lot lately since he uh, spearheaded the latest um, health care bill. Uh, and um, he also worked for Rob Portman, who is a senior uh, Republican from Ohio. Uh, we have had a lot of discussion about Yucca Mountain, including an announcement yesterday <laughs> that the Yucca Mountain bill that's being pushed by some Republicans in the House could be on the floor as early as next week. So there's a lot of activity here in Washington, including on the issues that matter to you guys. So let's, on the Yucca Mountain issue, which is what we're going to focus on today, luckily we're not focusing on North Korea or on the NFL, uh, we will jump right into it. So before we get into some of the specifics of what's happening this week and uh, next couple of weeks, why don't we start by saying, uh, t doing a little bit of table setting. For a long time, this issue was off the table, and now it's back on. So, Brian, maybe I can start with you, and you can tell us what's changed and why it matters. Uh, so, yeah, uh, the dynamic has uh, shifted um, this Congress, and I think there, there are two words that uh, – indicate why it's changed. And, and those two words are Harry Reid. Um, he's not here anymore. Um, he was, and you all know this, he was such a strong opponent of the Yucca Project um, and, and, and had a position that can't be replicated. Um, he was the Senate Majority Leader. He was the Senate Minority Leader. He drew a line in the sand for years and years and years this project was dead. It was not going anywhere at all. It was not to be horse traded in any other piece of legislation. It was not to be considered. Don't even think about it. Uh, were, were, was the direction that he gave his caucus. 
Um, and that was abided um, as long as he was here from when he became majority leader um, uh, in 2007 until the day he retired um, in early January of this year. So that dynamic has, has, has completely kind of turned the tables here because um, Senator Reid is, is no longer um, in the Congress. Yeah, I I think that Brian's uh, comments are absolutely accurate. That Senator Reid uh, was, you know, the ultimate firewall uh, for uh, those in this room and just broadly in, in Nevada and across the country who were opposed to the Yucca Project. Um, I think that. Um, you know, Senator Reid uh, also was able to convince uh, his former colleague, and then, and then uh, at the time, new president, President Obama, to heed his advice. And you saw the Obama administration um, uh, agree with uh, Senator Reid's position uh, and uh, halted activity on, on the Yucca project. But I will say that uh, a lot of my former colleagues, a lot of their former bosses, um, are. Um, in, in a position to 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 say um, that because Senator Reid is gone now, there's an opportunity to to have another conversation. Um, there are a lot of proponents on in both chambers of the Congress who see the departure of Senator Reid as a real opportunity uh, to have a conversation and really, in their perspective, put to rest uh, a uh, a thirty year issue. And I think that they are going to use his departure to exploit that. Um, and especially because of the fact that the vast majority of the members of Congress on both sides of the aisle and both in both sides of the Capitol complex have never been on record on this issue, right? The 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 last time that Congress took a vote on this issue on the floor of either chamber was in the mid two thousands, and so if you're you know looking at the members of Congress who have been elected since then, not very many of them are in either chamber and have had to really uh, you know. T- take a very public position on this. So I think that, you know, there's going to be a lot of opportunity uh, that the proponents of this project are going to use to get people on on, on the record on it. And, and that's a great segue. Um, it could be that there's going to be um, activity on this in the Congress as early as, as next week. We're hearing that the um, that the House bill might be up on the floor, and um, we're also hearing rumors that the Senate might um, include some language about Yucca Mountain in the budget resolution when that gets uh, marked up coming up here in the next week or so. So let's uh, talk specifically about some of the um, the legislative proposals that we've seen and what the likelihood is of act- action or passage, rather, um, on them. So, Darian, let me start with you. Why don't you talk about the House bill a little bit and what's in it and whether you think it's going to pass if they bring it up for a vote next week. So the, 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 the piece of legislation that passed uh, out of the Energy and Commerce Committee earlier in the summer um, is a provision that really paves the way for um, private interim storage of, of nuclear material. Um, and then it also directs the Department of Energy to, to start research again at the Yucca facility. Um, and in an interesting series of events, when it was being considered in the committee, um, initially was very, very controversial uh, amongst uh, a variety of members, but also ultimately on kind of a last hour uh, ditch, 
in a, in a last hour effort, uh, a bipartisan consensus was reached and the, and it passed out of the committee with a vote of 49 to 4. So this is a committee that handles deeply divisive issues. Uh, and these folks, you know, said that, you know, they see this legislation, um, you know, being a good idea. The, I will say that if it comes to a, to a vote on the floor, um, I think that there is a likelihood that, that it will be successful. Um, now, thankfully, you know, those in this room have great champions uh, in both chambers, uh, the entire Nevada delegation, uh, with the exception, exe- exception of Congressman uh, Amade, uh, have been kind of stalwarts in their opposition uh, to, to the Yucca Project, even since Senator Reid's departure. But I do think um, that this is, for those who are opponents of this project, this is an existential um, moment where the fact is, is that this is going to be an opportunity for the proponents of the project to get people on the record with their support, and I think that it, there's a possibility that it passes. Sorry, I was just going to add, yeah, Darian, Darian's right. I mean, um, you know, uh, Senator Reid was was the dam here, um, and and there there are there are holes that are starting to pop through, and and you hit it on it earlier. There are a lot of members that, because this has been off the table for a long time, have have been itching to try and find an opportunity to move legislation, move it through appropriations, move it as a standalone vehicle, which we may see next week from Congressman Shimkus's effort. But because Reed's not there anymore, that wall is gone, and there's going to be attempts to sort of chip away at it. Um, and to your earlier point, there are so many members that have not had to take formal positions on this issue because it's been off the table for a long time. I and mean, I think in the Senate, there were there was a recognition that we didn't really need to think about it a lot because Reed was just going to say no to it. So there are, are Democrats and Republicans that have, you know, legitimate questions about how this would work. What's the science say now versus 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago? What's new? You're going to have members exploring that. Um, in the coming weeks and months, and in, in the case of the House, it may be as early as next week where you've got members who may have just been elected in January, may not even know where Yucca Mountain is. They're going to have to turn around and, 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 you know, put their card in on the House floor sometime next week or the week after. So um, it's going to be incumbent on opponents to do a lot of educating uh, with all these folks that are now sort of free to vote um, their conscience, so to speak. Not that they members don't always do that, but when you've got a leader saying you can't do X, Y, or Z, well, that that goes a long way. So without that leader any, there anymore, there's going to be it, it, it's impossible to kind of sketch out what what may happen. No, I, I, I would say, though, Elizabeth, though, we, I think it's important to talk about the Senate in the sense that, as Brian originally uh, mentioned, that there are there are potentials um, for. Um, Votes on on yucca or yucca related provisions to happen during the budget res, uh, budget resolution, um, which is scheduled to be marked up, uh, I believe next, next week. week. Yeah, next week, uh, and then when it moves to the floor, you know, there's when you hear about these, you know, two a.m. votes. Uh, that's what happens on the uh, 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 on the budget when the, in these voteramas. But I think that it's also important to talk about some of the little the political dynamics here, also in the, in the Senate, um, where the fact is is that. Particularly with that, with the House bill that might pass, that could pass, Senator um, Heller had had put out a statement after after it passed uh, out of committee, where he said this is quote dead on arrival in the Senate uh, that this piece of legislation because of his opposition to the to the Yucca project, and there is a uniqueness there just because of the fact that as everyone in this room knows, 
Senator Heller is in cycle for re-election and is a vulnerable member of the, of the majority conference uh, in the upper chamber. And so there is a political overlay to um, some of the policy questions that are going to be um, that, that are going to be debated. And the fact is, is that it is the Senate Republican leadership going to um, allow a bill being sent from the House to advance that is a, you know, a huge that has huge opposition from one of their more more vulnerable members and you know it i think it is unlikely at least from my leadership that they would you know they would do that yeah and and that's a really good point however we are hearing that there could be some movement on the budget resolution regarding yucca mountain in the senate and the way the budget resolution debate works is that any member can stand up at any point during the floor debate and offer an amendment, and that amendment is going to get a vote. Now, these are often message amendments that don't have force of law. Um, they're designed to put people on record one way or another on a, on a particular policy. But that kind of goes to yeah. what the supporters of Yucca want to do, which is to catch people flat-footed or unprepared and force them to, to vote. Now, Heller can complain all he wants about a vote on the budget resolution, but he can't stop it. Neither yeah. can Cortez Masto. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if supporters of the project do try and push something in a floor debate um, when we get there. Now, just to follow up on that, you know, the House has always been more supportive of, of the Yucca Mountain project than the Senate. The Senate's always had bigger challenges in getting it through the process. So um, uh, so the fact that this bill might, might pass through the House is not determinative. Um, but I, I'd be interested, Brian, in your thoughts about um, Democrats in the in the Senate. And we've talked a lot about um, Senator Reid's departure, but there are other key Democrats uh, in the Senate who have been opposed to this, including um, Chuck Schumer, who's the Senate Democratic leader. So can you kind of talk about some of the dynamic on the Democratic side? Uh, Darian talked about Senator Heller and the political dynamic there, but can you talk about where Democrats are coming from on this? Yeah, um, you know the 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 shift from Reed to Schumer um, is is a big shift on a number of fronts. Uh, personality number one, part of the country number two. Um, we could probably probably spend an hour talking about how Chuck Schumer and Harry Reid are, are different people. Um, uh, you know, Schumer is you know publicly opposed um, to Yucca. However, he is a deal maker, um, and I think we've seen that in the last couple of weeks. Um, with uh, the deal that he and Leader Pelosi cut with President Trump on continuing funding for the government for three months, um, and then the deal that was announced on uh, the DREAM Act and the um, uh, undocumented uh, children immigrants. Um, when there's a deal to be had, Schumer likes to jump on it. Um, he, uh, you know, fashions himself as a deal maker and someone who wants is here to get things done. And if he sees an opportunity to um, perhaps trade a different part of energy policy in exchange for yucca. Well, we don't know what's going to happen when that um, when he's faced with that choice. Like I said, he's publicly opposed, but he's not Harry Reid. He's not from your wonderful state. Um, he's from New York. That doesn't necessarily have the same equities, obviously. And you know, Democrats in the last couple of years have um, proven a willingness to deal on energy issues. Um, Democrats traded away um, uh, oil, the, uh, lifting the oil uh, export embargo in exchange for uh, extension of renewable energy tax credits. That's just one example of where Democrats have said, okay, we'll give 
on this side if we get on the other. Um, so it's possible that you know Schumer could view Ryucca as a bargaining chip to get something else that he wants or someone else in his caucus wants. So it's it's a new dynamic. And then and, and I'll just real briefly I'll, I'll also add that you know the rest of leadership on the Democratic side. Um, you know, we've got Senator uh, Dick Durbin from Illinois. Illinois is a huge nuclear state. Um, I believe there's six or seven nuclear plants in Illinois. Um, he's the number two um, on the Senate Democratic side. So is it something that he's going to try and push for within the leadership group? Potentially. So Reed not being there just changes a lot of things. Um now, I, I do think that um, it's fair to say that there's a long way to go on the legislative front, even if there's some progress made for, from supporters. Um, so we have we do have have a, a long road here in front of us legislatively. But even if this were to move forward, there's other hurdles as well that we have to face that the supporters would have would face. So, Darren, maybe you can talk about uh, sort of uh, some of those those hurdles and and what's in front of this process as we look ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So even if the proponents of the project were able to get uh, the legislative victories that they are hoping for, there are just some procedural things that would need to happen in terms of the the, the permitting from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, um, but also the, the 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 facility itself has aged in in recent decades or in, in recent years, and so the fact is is that. Um, there are questions about the integrity uh, of the facility itself. There are questions about um, the fact is that the only existing structure actually at the facility is an exploratory uh, facility. There are there are questions about the just the the transfer of the property itself that will encompass the facility as. Uh, proposed are actually own, the land itself is owned by a variety of different federal agencies, and so the fact is is that in transferring that real property, ultimately to the Department of, of Energy would require uh, the Congress to get involved in, in uh, administrative agencies, which you know through uh, everyone in this room is familiar with is that the federal government in in uh, in getting rid of any kind of property and moving and moving uh, quickly are not two things that happen uh, kind of synonymously. So the fact is is that there are huge administrative, procedural, scientific questions um, that that are still need to be addressed, and I think that opponents of the project um, should look at those as tools in the toolbox to to use when um, raising questions um, here in Washington about the project moving forward. Well, and, and, and Darian's right, and I also add that um, a lot else has, has changed um, beyond the science and the technology and some of the transportation issues. But, you know, in the early 80s, um, uh, who, who knew what a podcast was? Like the, I mean, so much yeah. has changed, right? Um, Clark County, I believe, is five times larger than it was in the early 1980s. Um, uh, the terror threat that this country faces now was was not what it was um, even just a handful of years ago. Um, so to think that that we shouldn't, you know, relook at some of the conclusions that may have been reached in past decades or re-examine and re-study things is is you know that that is a tool um, that that you all can use. I mean, the, the size of Las Vegas alone is, and the fact that you know so many people from around the country travel there for for various reasons and understand how big of a footprint the city has and how how important it is in the larger economy of the United States. Those are good tools to use to push back against supporters. Uh, let me ask um, another question. 
about the leadership at DOE. So uh, Secretary Perry has uh, made some positive comments about Yucca Mountain in, in terms of trying to restart that process and possibly reopen the um, the effort to move uh, high-level nuclear waste to Nevada. Um, but he's also been on the short list for potentially moving away from the Department of Energy and going to the Department of Homeland Security. And, Darian, maybe you can comment on that and about that possibility. And if that were to happen, what impact would that have on the decision-making here? No, I, I – you know – Secretary Perry, as Elizabeth said, it, uh, has actually visited the facility, uh, has talked about how this is a priority for the administration of restarting this. Um, and we saw that, you know, in his F- proposed FY18 budget, the president included uh, or requested money from Congress to restart uh, this effort. Uh, but as you mentioned, the sec- Secretary Perry is a potential candidate for to become uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, a promotion or, you know, however you want to look at it, depending on, you know, the day. Um, but the fact is, is that he is, is also – it makes sense as a candidate. He was a governor, a, a chief executive uh, from a, a border state. And so if he did get the nod to go to the Department of Homeland Security, that would leave a vacancy at the at the Department of Energy. And I think that that vacancy will create um, a slowdown within the within the building and within the respective agencies uh, at the department who will be tasked with with impl- or starting up uh, the project again because the fact is is that if you are a line staffer at the department and your job is to to work on the on the yucca project it does not behoove you to um, move forward on something that is controversial uh, while your boss's 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 job is vacant and also, then, from from a procedure standpoint, um, whenever a a new secretary designate is is named, it provides an opportunity for uh, both proponents and opponents uh, of the project to ask that individual his or her um, opinions about it uh, in a confirmation hearing. So, um, let me ask one more question for each of you, and then we'll um, we're happy to take some questions from all of you. Uh, my last question is um, is a political one. We have elections coming up about a year from now in uh, November 2018. We've talked a lot about Senator Heller and the fact that he's going to be on the ballot that year. So once we get through that election, what impact will um, will those elections have on the uh, project or what impact could they have on the project? Well, Brian, can you speak to that? Sure. Yeah, so, um, I mean, the... The first part about Heller is is, is right on. I mean, um, he's acknowledged as one of the most vulnerable senators um, up for re-election in 2018. Um, Mitch McConnell has indicated that he's going to do what he can to protect Senator Heller's position. Um, Yucca is going to be part of that. Um, but if Senator Heller loses in November 2018 – that promise evaporates overnight. Or, or even if he wins, right? I or mean, even if he wins. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. If he wins or – you're right, Elizabeth. If he wins or loses, that – you know, he's – if he wins again, he's got a six-year term. Um, and then Senator McConnell will then turn to senators who, who are up for re-election in 2020 <laughs> to identify what their priorities and where their lines in the sand are on things. So that's number one. Number two is the dynamic in the House of Representatives. Um, I think there are, well, I think, and a lot of others agree that there is a very good chance that Democrats can retake the House. Um, there are 23 districts um, that Hillary 
controlled by Republican House members that Hillary Clinton won in 2016. That gets you almost to where you need to be to take back the House. There are another 40 districts where President Trump won won the district with under 50 percent. Um, that's a lot of House seats that are going to be in play. Um, the president's approval ratings are in the 30s, um, and we've still got a number of months to go until uh, next November. Uh, they could go up. They could go down. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, Democrats feel you know, um, somewhat confident about their chances to take back the House or at least make it very, very close. So if Nancy Pelosi goes from the minority leader to the speaker – um, uh, next year, she is a strong environmentalist. She is a uh, announced opponent of yucca. Um, you know, I worked for Barbara Boxer, who strongly opposed yucca. Uh, Leader Pelosi cares as strongly as Barbara Boxer did about this. You know, they they feel this. You know, in their uh, in their hearts, uh, the waste is going to go through parts of California. Um, she recognizes that. So, you know, putting her in a position to be able to say no to anything. Um, it, could flip the dynamic again in just a couple of months. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that if if the House did flip, I think then a lot of questions be, are even more up in the air. If if you were the administration or in a Republican-controlled uh, Senate dealing with a democratically-controlled House, I don't know if this piece of energy policy is – um, your top priority in terms of negotiating over. Um, but also, you know, what the fact is, is that there are a lot of variables, right? The fact is, um, that the administration has said that this is, this is a priority, um, and have put money in it, in, in, in its budget request for it. So I think that, um, with a, opponents of the, of, of the project, uh, I think can find solace in the, in the fact that if, Nancy Pelosi does go from leader to speaker that um, there are there will be significantly less opportunities for uh, pro yucca legislation to advance through the House. But the fact is, is still um, that mean that doesn't totally negate the fact that um, there are those who are proponents of the project still in various elements of government who would who could bring this to the negotiating table and say, hey, you know. I'll give you this if you give me that. Um, and I think that Brian's correct and Elizabeth are correct that um, Senator Heller's election or defeat, either way, in the 2018 cycle, um, free up Leader McConnell to have some other conversations with other members of his uh, – with his conference. Well, and, and, and for purposes of you know the Shimkus bill that is potentially moving – if this is fast forward to 2019 and Nancy Pelosi is speaker or some other Democratic member of the House is speaker, the Shimkus bill, one, doesn't get out of the committee, and two, doesn't get a floor vote. No, so the, the conversation we're having about potentially action next week is is not happening. It's, it's erased. The question is, aren't proponents going to be trying to push this as quickly as they can with the threat of a Democratic House in front of them in, after 2018? Um, and so wouldn't they be motivated to try and get this done as quickly as they can? And I have thoughts on that, but I'm a moderator, so I'll, I'll turn it over to Brian here. Go ahead. Well, yeah, yes, and I think that's why you're seeing um, action potentially happening next week. Um, they, they, they want to strike when people aren't paying attention because it behooves them to do so strategically. Um, so, yes, um, yeah, to answer your question directly. I, I think the only thing in the Senate, anyway, that cuts against that is McConnell um, 
Senator Mitch McConnell really, I think, has been genuine in his um, in his uh, comments that we've heard anyway about trying to be protective of Heller. So that's gonna that's that's gonna be uh, the, the tide in the other direction with respect to timing. All right. So the question was, uh, how should the messaging change uh, to oppose Yucca Mountain instead of just saying we don't want it because we don't want it? Um, I went and, first last time, so it's a really good question. Um, I think that there's an opportunity because, as we've said, so so you know, few people have really focused on this in the last you know 15 years. Um, you know, I started on the Hill in 2005. I remember it was a hot thing back then, and then it just sort of fell off the radar screen. Um, I think that there are constituencies on both sides, on on the Republican side and the Democratic side, that can be talked to in different ways, and you need to think about where you take your messages and what messages you take to different different folks. I mean, on the Democratic side, I can speak there. Um, you know, the uh, the environmental groups um, have a, a very strong voice on the Hill. Um, offices listen to them. Um, you need to make sure that they are including this as a top priority. Um, they may be a little slow right now in reacting, um, as we've said. You know, it, it hasn't been on the on the radar screen for a long time, and now it is. Um, what are the Enviro groups doing to to push back on this? Um, how are they making the case that we don't know enough about the science and the technology? We don't know enough about what's going to happen. These are thirty year old studies that need to be updated. Um, all those sorts of messages build and feed into the notion that wait a second we haven't really thought this all the way through or maybe we did 30 years ago but it's not 1982 anymore so i think that's that's the the start of how you kind of re- repackage this and refocus your efforts i would agree Brian, is that um, I, I think the the thing that i would add from my perspective of in working in in, in the body and um, having dealt with these with these issues i think that the perspective on our side was well it, it was when I first started in the Senate. It was why are we going to engage on this? Because Harry Reid has made this a non-negotiable, right? So, it, so I think for a lot of staff, they just it's flipping through a lot of pages because now I've got to get up to speed on this because, frankly, you know, very few people have been talking. To, were talking to me about this. If you are a kind of rank and file staffer for a member not on a committee of jurisdiction, right, which happened to handle energy issues that folks weren't engaged just because Senator Reid had said this is a non-negotiable and there were other things happening. I would say that though that the, the proponents of this are trying to build this as an inevitability, that yucca is inevitable, that we have studied this to death, and that they are trying to um, say that this is, you know, this is common sense. This is this should should happen because we've done all of our due diligence. And I think that the opponents of the pro- of the project, you know, a very strong retort to say, well, yeah, it, you know, you could describe this as inevitable if you negate the fact that there is a real security threat. If you negate sci- the you know evolving scientific data, you negate the trans- significant transportation issues, and you negate. Um, the demographical issues of the area in which the the facility is going to be located. So if that is your definition of inevitable, then yes, this is inevitable. But for those of us in the real world, this is, you know, anything but inevitable. Right. One of the things that we've talked about in terms of messaging 
uh, as we've thought about it, is this is an, this is old science. We need to update the science. We need to update the site. We need to update our assumptions about transportation, terrorism, and um, and the population base. So I, I, I think part of what it is is not is to make this not – this isn't an issue about Nevada. This is a national issue. Before we bury waste for 100 million years, let's make sure that we get it right and let's use the most recent information that's available and not um, not rely on something from 1982 or 1987 um, because the world has changed a lot since then in terms of um, all of the challenges that this site um, poses. So the question was, who can take the microphone um, beyond the delegation? Is that fair? Okay. Um, you well, to- yeah, I, I, you're you're right. Um, you're absolutely right. I think you know you look at Reed. You look at my old boss Barbara Boxer, who was the chairman and then the ranking member of the Environment Committee in the Senate. They were no goes on this today, tomorrow, and for the rest of time. Um, because they had the the local nexus to it, um, you've got folks that have sort of replaced them that are from different parts of the country and are opposed. But you know, for someone who's you know taken the environmental mantle from Boxer, um, like a Sheldon Whitehouse from Rhode Island, you know, he is as strong as she was on just about everything else. But is he going to be the same sort of vocal, you know, beating my chest champion on Yucca? You know, you're right. We we do need to find someone who's going to be willing to to draw that line in the sand, to stand up on the floor every single time and say, no, I object to consideration of this amendment or this bill, whatever the case may be. Finding those those folks is going to be um, difficult. I mean, they're out there, but it's 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 making sure that this becomes, you know, number one, number one A, one B in their priorities list. That's the hard part because they're not – you know, there are new folks, you know, Kamala Harris from California who took uh, boxer seat. You know, Senator Feinstein's always been very strong on, on this issue as well. Um, you know, Cortez Masto has been very, very vocal and loud since she joined the Senate in January. Um, but they need to, you know, show that they're willing to stand up like their predecessors um, were, were able to do and, and become that voice that's just going to say no at every turn. And I think outside of the delegation, um, you also have people. This this may need to be an 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 effort that is is broken up into somebody who really opposes it because they're anti nuclear, somebody who really opposes it because they're an environmentalist, somebody who's really worried about Endangered Species Act or or the water table or something more narrow, but that they have the same passion. But it's not on the on the project writ large; it's on different aspects. Of it, and that that's where you can find the, the the strength to try and become that leader in opposition. I was going to say the exact same thing on, on on my side of the aisle is that um, I think the success on the Republican side, um, in addition to Senator Heller's opposition from the project as a whole, is to find coalition amongst members who have discomfort with um, specific sections of how this is. How this is playing out. So those um, who may have a strong Tenth Amendment um, perspective in terms of federalism, they would find discomfort with the federal government um, telling the state of Nevada that some of its land and 
water rights are no longer valid and basically doing a massive eminent domain. So those who would have discomfort with that, those who sit on the relevant committees like Environment and Public Works, Commerce, Science, Transportation, who would have questions, um, some from the national security perspective, like we've mentioned. So finding those who have interest in, in very specific sections and then, and then finding strength in numbers on the Republican side, I think is the tactic that I would recommend. All right, we have time for one more quick question. Yeah, here's my my response to that. You're you are absolutely right. We should be looking at all of the different options. And what has happened is legislation was passed many years ago that said that legislated a solution to a scientific problem, and that makes no sense. And the other issue is that science and technology. And the world around us has evolved and changed. And you've got a statute that is static, and that is not helpful. And your question is exactly right. Why aren't we trying to find real solutions? And the answer is that people are following an outdated statute that is no longer consistent with the reality around us. And so I think that that's one of the strongest arguments against putting this at Yucca Mountain right now because we have to find out if it is the best solution. Because if it is, it makes it a whole lot harder to push against it. But it may not be, and we don't know because we've been prohibited from looking at other solutions because of this a statute. And that was my passionate close. Yeah, no, exactly right. Congress, you know, there was a lot of scientific research back in the back in the eighties that was being done, and then Congress, in its infinite wisdom, just said. All right, that's all well and dandy, but we're just going to kind of cut off debate. Uh, and even you know, moving forward, is that that th- through you know the powers of the purse is that Congress controls the money, right? And the fact is, is that in years subsequent, there hasn't been money allotted to even continue the, the subsequent scientific research, at least at the federal level, right? Is that that um, scientific agencies, um, whether it be the Nuclear Regulatory Commission um, and other national science or National Academy of Sciences and National Science Foundation, others um, who would want to look at this from a scientific perspective um, have been prohibited from doing so because of the fact um, that appropriated money um, hasn't come from Congress, and they their hands are tied. They cannot incur an expenditure without appropriation from Congress, and so you know they 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 couldn't proceed. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Visit www.bhfs.com for more information.